each organization is so different. So, and depending on where they are in the maturity curve. So you might have one organization where not much is in place and it's still very much driven out of technology. So that the, the internal IT team are driving all the technology decisions. Uh, well, you might have an, another organization where it's a little bit more mature or there's a real focus at a given time. So when I was at Grant Thorne, we had a real focus obviously on sales and marketing. You would have these internal people who were willing to champion the purchase and were desperate to get it in. Welcome back to another episode of the How to Sell podcast. I'm your host, Luigi Prestonenzi, and as always, I'm very excited that you have joined us for what will be a very insightful episode. Um, If you're a first-time listener, thank you for joining. We hope you take away some actionable insights that will help you sell more. And if you're a long-time listener, thanks for showing up every week. We value our community we value the audience that we uh, we serve. Um, but this week we are jumping back into the seat of talking to an enablement professional about how they buy. However, before I introduce our guest, I should bring in our co-host or the co-host of this show. I say that with I, st- I still ha- I still can't accept Dave that there is a co-host. I feel like a black sheep of the family. <laughs> <laughs> well, Dave, what's happening in your world? Mate, it was a it was a pretty crazy week. You were on the other side of the world, uh, so I was able to get a lot of work done, which was great. <laughs> yeah, and I was for those for our listeners. I actually got to see. I didn't get to see this great man, but I got to see this the greatest football team Manchester United on earth. AC Milan play. <laughs> oh, and that and that, folks, that is the voice of James Fielding from Findex, who's joining us this week. So welcome, James. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yes. Um, now, we shouldn't talk football, but you know what? I watched an incredible Manchester United grind out such a hard-fought victory against European superpower Luton Town, <laughs> which, <laughs> which, you know, when you're grinding out wins against Luton Town, you know you're doing pretty well. There's a lot of sarcasm. Okay, well, maybe, hope, hope, yeah, hopefully this podcast isn't the same. We won't grind it out the same way, but it'll go, you know, you're on the improve. On the, you know, got to start from somewhere. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, Alex Ferguson, I'm sure, watching on, he was excited to see what a great team. Anyway, well, let's not go there. Let's not go down to the path of football. Um, but welcome, James. I know, look, just for our – Full transparency for our audience. Um, well, we've known each other for a few years, right? Yeah, a few years. I think it's been a couple. It's been a couple of years now. I feel sorry for you. No, it's been good. He um, wasn't always this bearded and this polished on the um, podcast. He's, it's <laughs> nice to see. But look, yeah, no, we've, we've known each other for a while, and obviously the the first interaction Luigi and I had was actually a purchasing experience of my own. So we, we might talk through that a little bit um, in the podcast today. Mm, great one. It's always nice to have an experience where I guess. Yeah, you, know, you have a relationship where you go from a vendor to a friendship, and it's been, you know, really good, mm. um, yeah, relationship over that time. But I think the importance of you know looking at the buying journey of people and the effort that Luigi puts into it 
um, is you know, kind of unmatched. So I've been you know, really looking forward to talking it through today because I've been on, I've been, I guess, on receiving end of being sold to by Luigi. But obviously, yeah, we'll, we'll talk a, broader, a little bit broader as well, I guess, of the role of enablement, which is a bit of a difficult space in terms of how they purchase and a bit different from everyone else. Yeah, that's awesome. And thanks for, thanks for those kind words, James. I think that's a perfect segue, right, because, you know, we are – we have been interviewing a number of enablement folks um, from various organizations across the world. And it's really, really interesting, you know, so the, the common thread that we're hearing is um, most enablement professionals uh, are not the main decision makers, but they are absolutely key influencers as part of the decision-making process. Um, you know, some have more weight in the decision-making process than others, but ultimately they form part of a wider buying process right and that's exactly what we went through um when you know a few years back when we we're in the decision making process of a, of a large transformation project but mate just before we jump into this episode um we'd love to know and for you to share with our audience sort of how did you get into that enablement space yeah so my background has always been in professional services so working for lawyers accountants yeah. and those roles where they might have a title of bdm or marketing they're all actually enablement roles. So before enablement mm. was even, I guess, a word was bandied about in terms of a role, those roles have always existed in professional services just because it's an environment where you have a sales force and aren't traditional salespeople, aren't good salespeople, and also their yeah. time and their effort is so expensive <laughs> that you have to drive efficiency, you have to drive effectiveness within that sales organization. So if they're spending their time selling, they're going to be spending their time really well and you've got to streamline that the best you can. Mm. So very similar to a normal organization in terms of what the role of enablement, but I guess it was always happening there because it was, it was easy pickings because you know you, you, you had to enable the mm. function. Um, so that's, I guess that's how I, I, I got into it. I yeah. initially sent you as a, a failed lawyer, wanted to be a criminal lawyer at the start, well, wasn't for <laughs> me and then I kind of pivoted back to my marketing degree and I've always worked in that space. Yeah, interesting story. So you initially, you know, worked as a you well, were, you no, worked as a lawyer before you my, moved um, into I guess what you call it article. So essentially looking at that being a paralegal and moving into my final year and then moving on. And then so I started in criminal law and I had a few hairy cases to start with. And, and that was that was enough for me. They made you an offer you couldn't refuse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, I think, and then, and then yeah. Fr from there, kind of working in, so obviously wanted to use that background to work in professional services in terms of law firms and have been doing that. So, you know, yeah. initially starting off in terms of setting up a global global pitch team for Linklaters, so being multinational kind of um, law firm, but kind of building that infrastructure, building those tools and resources. And again, it wouldn't have been called sales enablement back in the day. It would have been called business development or sales. Mm. Well, actually not sales in the law firm, but it would, you know, it would have been called yeah. marketing. But essentially it was enablement. And then my career has essentially been that in the background. How do we build the tools, the resources, the behaviours to actually drive efficiency, effectiveness at scale? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it surprised me when we first started engaging. I think that was one of my initial observations, right, Um you hear about most tech companies, a lot of traditional type businesses that have an enablement function. And I was quite surprised to see that 
a, you know, a huge accounting and professional services firm had that function. Um, and that, you know, Grant Thornton at the time when you were there were a, a lot more progressive than other organizations, right? That they were competing against. Yeah, very progressive. I think the terms of, I think what in particular around Grant Thornton was around the technology space in terms of making that investment, knowing it was a long-term investment. And I guess we, we can talk through that, some of the purchasing decisions, but you know, the decisions were made there to invest. You know, we had to make those, we yeah. had to, in a culture where it wasn't traditional to have these tools and resources, that you had to make these purchases and prove them up as they go, because you would be the one of the two people. You know, it wasn't like um, a traditional sales, sales organization where every single firm had this technology in there. You were bringing it in and doing different mm. things and expecting a different result with a, a different audience in terms of we, you know, in that, in that business, having accountants, having auditors, having advisors using these tools as opposed to pure salespeople. That's a good segue, uh, James. Look, what, what role mm. does enablement have in the current organization of Findex where you are now? What role does that play uh, when purchasing new tools, services? You know, can you walk us through that sort of process internally? And then how do you get adoption internally with those new tools and services? It's really interesting. What I'll, what I'll do is I'll talk through a couple of different experiences because I think they are so yeah, different. Nice. So each organization is so different. So and depending on where mm. they are in the maturity curve. So you might have one organization where not much is in place and it's still very much driven out of technology. So that the, the internal IT team are driving all the technology decisions. Uh, well, you might have an, another organization where it's a little bit more mature or there's a real focus at a given time. So when I was at Grant Thorne, we had a real focus obviously on sales and marketing. You would have these internal people who were willing to champion the purchase and were, were mm-hmm. desperate yeah. to get it in. And I think that's the, the big thing around these buying decisions is you've got every man and his dog that has got a say in it these days. So you've got obviously technology, end users, you've got procurement, you've got risk. You've got your CFR, your C-suite. You've got everybody with a different perception, I guess, looking at it from a different lens that they all are involved in the decision-making process. But at the end of the day, if they're not someone who, yeah. who's willing to back themselves and, and really wants it and is willing to take the downside risk and the effort to get it in, the purchase isn't made. Hmm. Is that something that you find is a big roadblock where everyone's looking for not to take on any risk, even though there might be considerable upside. It's always a, a risk factor decision-making process. Yeah, 100%. So like you, you, your personal credibility is on the line if things don't go well mm. and mm. also to get the effort involved in doing that. So in the background, you're doing your day yes. job, but you're also working with procurement. You're getting vendor risk assessments done. You're working with a technology team to mm. see as the data flows. You're doing all this additional work beyond your day job. So that day job doesn't disappear. You're still doing that day job. You've got to work yeah. this and then you're also responsible for implementation and and, and making yeah. sure that it's a, it's a service or a product that people actually use in the business and you're getting a return on investment. So it's quite a risk. Um, but So that's why you've, yeah. got, you've got to be passionate about it. You've got to say, well, actually, I fundamentally believe in this and I'm willing to take, essentially, go, I'm willing to take the pain to put this in the mm. business because it's better for yeah. me and better for the business to get it in. And that's, you know what, I think this, this this is actually perfect, right, because you're describing the picture of what most deals look like. There's a lot of layers of complexity and lots of different decision makers and often 
sellers are only talking to the one person in the org, in the buying hierarchy, right? Um, and deals get stuck. And I know there's a lot of data to show 40 to 60% of deals get stuck at no decision, not because there's not a, a desire from them to move forward, but because of the volume of people involved. And if I reflect upon our time when we first started engaging, you know, when we got the final tick of approval, we had probably over 20 people involved in the sales process, if you recall, yeah. right? Um, but I just want to go back a step. So you talk about the fact that your personal, internal personal brand is um, at stake if you sponsor something in that doesn't work. Um, if we can maybe take the interaction that we initially had when, you know, we first met and you sponsored me into the business, could you describe or share um, what motivated you to sponsor me into the business? Like given the fact that there's so much risk that you spoke about, when we started engaging, there was a point where you championed me in. Um, what was the driver behind that? Yeah. Without pumping up his thighs. Not to downplay please. your skills, but I guess it's no, well, I, 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 I was about to go the, upper, the opposite way. I was about to say, well, not not to downplay it a little bit, but a lot of it to do with timing. So at that stage, we were looking at that. Yeah. We're in that mindset of saying we need these skills, we need mm. these programs in place. We're on that early stage thinking about exactly what that would look like. Yep. You engaged me at that time. I was like, perfect. This is a, I'm willing to obviously have that conversation and see where it goes. But I guess, you know, what you're able to do is kind of de-risk it for me. And, and both that was in mm. terms of my, my own personal belief in what you were doing. So I, I had to personally believe in that you were going to deliver what you said you were going to deliver, but you also made it easy for me internally yeah. to engage other people. So, you know, how do I get get the business case sign off from the CFO? How do I engage end users? How do I work with my CMO at the time to actually navigate internally? You did a lot of that work. Mm. Um which kind of smoothed out the process. So I didn't I didn't feel like it was – by the end of the process, I guess the buying process, I didn't feel like it was a risk. That's great. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, again, it's, we, could, we could take a different example, right, and I only just used it because I know that you took a – you took a – you had a lot of faith when, when sponsoring me in, and you are right, there was a timing aspect. Um, and I just also, for our audience, um, if we can just be clear about it, right, uh, how did the engagement start? Did you reach out to me, or did I reach out she to you? You reached out to me. The, uh, yeah, on the on the phone. On the phone. <laughs> yeah, there it is, folks. The phone is not dead, <laughs> right? The phone works. He, 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 did, um, he did, but the interaction. I say, well, you did pump up my tires a little bit on LinkedIn before. You kind of warmed me up on LinkedIn. There was a little bit of back and forth. <laughs> if you like some of my content on LinkedIn. Got me, build enough rapport, yeah. and then when obviously when that phone call came in, I was happy to take it because a, I knew who he was, and I knew the type of topic that we were going to have a discussion on. So very happy to pick up the. Phone. Well, there's a good little lesson there, right? Of how you know the social selling play comes into it prior to then picking up the phone mm -hmm. and calling someone that it, it gives you the right to reference a data point that you actually initiated, Louis. You know that yeah. you just putting words in your mouth, but you may have. Uh, mentioned the post that James recently did that you commented on mm. it or liked it when you called him up, which then probably would have made James go, well, I can invest another five seconds into this call, right? And you kept on purchasing extra five seconds worth of commitment to then spark the interest with James. Yeah, 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think the other the other thing to share, right, just full transparency, which we talk about earning the right in James's world. Um, I mystery shopped their business and a, a number of other businesses so that when we had that deep conversation, Dave, there was actually a lot of insight yeah. that I could lead and share. So the point of view was developed based on a level of research, right? Yeah, that's perfect. And, and imagine so, you know, yeah. everyone's always now coming in with the, you know, I've got something that can help you. I, I was wondering, we're almost leading into the second segment part of it, but can you remember what you said in order to spark up the interest? You know, being in sales enablement, James probably going to hit hit up many times a day of people selling things and understands how to sell and when to sniff out a sell that's mm. coming. Um, what Can you remember what you said or what you did? Um, well, I do, like I've said, it was the initial interaction we had on LinkedIn. It wasn't a connect and pitch. Yeah. So, I mean, if you recall, James, um, it wasn't that we connected and then all of a sudden I started pitching my services. There was a bit of time that went on. And as James said, there was that law of, you know, reciprocity where I was liking, engaging in content. Um, and I think James, you actually shared with me a podcast that you were on. Um, during that initial engagement stage, I then listened to it and then the initial outreach occurred, Dave. Um, nice. And then when we when we had that um, first meeting, because I had done that mystery shop, I had a very clear point of view and I already had defined that, hey, there is a particular problem that could be addressed if we're able to continue this chat, right? So it did come from a different position because I had done that research and – that's what I, the other thing I want to sort of move towards as well, James. So we speak, you know, obviously we're now talking about social, got you engaged, um, jumped on a phone, as you said, insight-led approach, and you spoke about that buying process. Can you maybe share with us a buying journey that you've been on in the last 12 months that didn't actually progress and what stopped that from progressing? So I think the... So I have been on, I've been on a few that haven't progressed, and some some <laughs> yeah. were not initiated by me. Whether I was part of so, and this is also probably you know just the very nature of the, you know organisations that people move. So you might have some someone else mm. has kicked off. The process changes, budget cycles change, and then you kind of get lost in between those cycles. So someone initiates an idea, yeah. they're having conversations. By the time you're brought in, that's great. But then someone else moves, and then and then another budget cycle comes in. So what happens is you get lost in those cycles. I'm I'm probably back to my point before. If you don't have someone who's absolutely passionate about picking it up and is ready to launch at yeah. a particular time, it continues to float in the background. They're all good ideas. So at the moment, like any organisation that I'm in, we would have five or ten products that we would love to have floating in the background. We might be having conversations with them. We're not stringing them along. They're things we'd love to get in, but we might be waiting for a particular trigger internally to say that's the, the perfect time to strike and we'll actually sponsor ourselves in now. So, okay, when you know, our results have just come out, they're not as good as what we would want them to be. Okay, this is a great time to position this back internally. Or we might have a new person coming into the business or a new product line and go, okay, well, that's a great place to pilot something. So we, you know, we're also looking internally to say, how do we, almost like essentially like sales? How what trigger point will help us move this forward? And we do that internally. So what can happen is you're going to get lost, but you don't get the right trigger point, the right timing, all the alignment to happen, and they just keep floating yeah. along. 
And, we, and we've had a couple of products like that mm. where back to my Grant Thornton days, we had a, a specific software that I absolutely sponsored in and we brought in. We're now, and my new role, we're still considering that, but I'm, I'm not passionately pushing it the same way that I did at another organisation because the timing isn't quite right and the business kind of situation isn't, isn't, isn't aligned. That's great. That yeah. sort of brings me to my next sort of, uh, you know, intriguing point there is when you are passionate about something, James, what's your process like for, you know, pushing that through internally? Yeah, it depends, I guess, the, where the, the, the power dynamic is within the business and the particular service. You know, so, yeah. you know, you might have one organisation where the power sits within your, your division or your function or it might sit yeah. somewhere else. So you said you've got to figure out where that, where that power balance sits yeah. and is it, is it one that you can pursue or is it one that you actually have to bring in other mm. people and get them to sponsor it? So, like, for me, the channel yeah. could be, like I say, out of the way, I'm just getting this in. I'm, I'll bring you along for the journey, but I'm absolutely passionate about it and I'm, I'm going to build a business case and I'm going to work with everybody, but I'm absolutely pushing us forward. Or it could be I'll work in the background and talk to people who are responsible for that area and, I start, and then I'll start introducing them to vendors or starting to do things. I'll let that naturally progress and then I'll see how I can help move it in the background. Yeah, and just on that, so what role is the, the seller having on this process so the passionate let's talk about the passionate um example right not the other one and i think we could probably address that but if we talk about the passionate one that you are depending on the power where the power sits in the organization what roles is the seller having or is it purely sitting with you to drive progression internally? it depends if i feel they're an asset i'll bring them in if they're not i'll separate them from, okay. from the internal kind of buying process so, you know, they could be an absolute asset. Like, you know, the, you know, the sales process that you and I went through, we brought you in and we, won, we presented you to the business because that was an yep. asset, that you were the product and we're very happy to put yep. you in front of our C-suite, in front of decision makers, and that was absolutely an asset. Where probably on another extreme, if you got somewhere where they're not a great salesperson, they're kind of, and it's very much product-led, you might separate them out completely. Mm. Or you might bring them in. Yeah to, you know, when it gets kind of the pointy end when you're looking at, you know, some objections or, you you know, you're using that way. But it just depends. You can really either use them as an asset or separate them from the process. Yeah, that's, that's pretty good, right? You, you, you're absolutely right. Uh, do you see the seller as a trusted advisor and somebody that's a value creator that you're willing to bring in as your co-party? Or are they purely just driving a product and your only value that you're getting from them is information about the product? So I like the way you summarize that. Um, Can we just go back to uh, from a top of funnel perspective because we're speaking about like active deal flow now. I can imagine that you'd be on the receiving end of a lot of outreach messages from sellers um, both on LinkedIn and email and even phone. Um, Do you mind sharing what's a type of prospecting message that you've been on the receiving end where you've gone, you know what, I'm going to book a meeting with this person based on how they've approached? I have to say there hasn't been many recently that's been pretty <laughs> slim pickings <laughs> in terms of the, the, the outreach. A lot, a lot of email with no other kind of engagement around it. So I've got a lot of emails at the moment mm. where 
and this is the, these are the ones that irk me the most. It's where they want my time and can I talk to you about your business? Yeah, I don't have time mm-hmm. to. Like, yeah, it's not to sound arrogant, but I don't have time to educate you on my business. You know, you know it's got to yeah. work the other way. You talked before about I guess the the insights that you brought to that initial meeting. That's what I need. I need you to become with something that I don't have. Otherwise, what's the point? Yeah. I can if I need a product, I'll research it. If that's all it is, I can do that myself, and I'd rather control the buying journey, wherever you bring me insights and things. But also, ideally, you bring me success stories from people that look and feel like me. That's what I'd love. If you could say, "Hey, James, okay. got some insights around how you know a competitor of mine, BDO, have gone from X to Y, and what are the challenges they overcome to do it?" I'll take that call any day of the week. And yeah, the golden nugget there. Yeah, make it that's hyper relevant, right? Yeah, yeah. But it's interesting that you say, you share that that a lot of the outreach that you're on the receiving end is not creating any value and is and and that's a really interesting um, bit of feedback, right? Because I think the the laws of email is changing in the next what is it January? And I know outreach has been emailing their clients to say, "Hey, uh, the other Google changes, and you can only yep. do fifty or yeah, yeah." They're setting limits. There's going to be, you know, they're making it very difficult because we have. I mean, I know that I've definitely seen this year. Mm. I've seen the volume of emails that are hitting my inbox. That are you can see it. It's on a. It's a sequencing tool. They're just jamming, and there is. It's they're really poorly crafted yeah. emails. Um. Because I love to see the type of emails being sent, just based on what we do as a as a profession, um, both good and bad. And you are right; like, there's more. Most of the messages are not relevant. Like, I'm getting emails saying, um, "Would you like to increase the amount of business for your hospitality business?" I'm like, mate, I don't even know where on my profile it says I have a hospitality. A lot of rubbish. Right. I'm actually getting more accountants now, which is really ironic, James asking if I want help with tax and bass and this and that and they're sequenced, right? Yeah. So I think they're looking for the the shortcuts or they've signed up with some lead gen business who's promised them all these leads when in fact it's it's doing them a disservice, right? Because most of the time just, uh, just, uh, just, just, just out of interest. Do, no, just out of interest, do you need an account? Oh, oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 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 you need there. Happy to help. Now, look, the, the quality is particularly poor, but also there's a little bit of aggressiveness in some of these emails as well. Like, you didn't mm-hmm. respond to my previous email, or did you see my? Yep. I'm like, wow. Yeah. Re- then that really rubs you up the wrong way. It's the There's a little bit of, I wouldn't call it, yeah, no, it is. Ah. It, it, it's just rudeness. Like, you know. You kind of want my time, and I haven't, I haven't responded back to you, and you're kind of a, quite assertive in terms of your expectation of a response. Yeah. Well, are you the wrong person? Yeah. Right. Um, that's another yeah. one. Um, am I? You know, is there somebody else I should be speaking to? Uh, I got one with a read receipt the other week. <laughs> like that's particularly poor. But I, but what, what's interesting, I guess, the point is not many phone calls though. So very very few phone yeah. calls for me at the moment. That's. I'm kind of happy with that, to be, to be fair. Um, but I guess the biggest thing is that we talked about that hyper kind of relative, you know, being hyper relevant. You know, it's not hard. You know what my industry is. Surely you've had, got some success stories within that, mm. whether it's not your success stories or someone else in your organisation, yeah. and you can pencil that together. Hey, James, we've got this product. Yeah. We've got 
these people will look like you and I've got some insights to share on the success that they had. If, they, if you can't package that together, then I start to question, A, do you have the industry experience? And is anyone willing mm. to back the fact you've mm. actually got any results? You know, that's, that's where yeah. my mind goes. If you can't have put those pieces together, I yeah. feel that you're almost, you know, you're burning a lot of people in the background or you don't have the industry experience and I'm kind of the guinea pig. That's very fair. And that's certainly not where you want to be. Back to my point before about, you know, you're taking the risk. Yeah. I don't want to, I don't want to be the guinea pig. Well, I think, you know, for, for, for our audience, James, there's a lot of key takeaways here. I mean, we've spoken about active deal flow. Um, are you seen as a trusted advisor or you're just a, a product pusher? Um, we're now speaking about top of funnel, how to get your engagement. So I think there's been a lot of, you know, for, for sellers thinking about how do I sell into somebody in enablement, there's been a lot of aha moments. Um, and, you know, I love the fact that you shared you're just not getting many phone calls and, you know, the phone is definitely a great way to engage um, with our prospects in our target market. So I just want to say as we come to the, to the end of our, our first segment for the first segment for the show, um, thanks for jumping on. Um, before we let you go though, where's where's the best place for our audience to thank you and engage? Uh, LinkedIn, yeah, drop me a note. I'll happily connect, happily, um, yeah, have a conversation. Um, if you've got any insights to share around professional services, I'll happily take I'll happily take a call or a, or a meeting. So yeah, LinkedIn's probably the best. Perfect and full transparency. James loves getting gifts of Harry Maguire. <laughs> um, so if you want to get his attention, just send him a gift on LinkedIn of a Harry Maguire gift. He'll be very excited to receive that. So James, I value our relationship. Um, thank you for the support. Um, and supporting my journey, mate. So, uh, yeah, thanks for being a guest on the How to Sell podcast. No, big thank you. I love being on it. Thank you. Well, Louis, that was a great, great segment there. Um, interestingly, though, you know, you, he was talking about when you sold to, to him <laughs> and he, now he flips it now about how many sort of outreaches he getting, he's getting at the moment and they're just not hitting the mark. Yeah. Uh, which is probably, uh, you know, it's a telltale time that's, you know, what you did years ago with um, with James is still ever so relevant, if not more relevant now, uh, in the world of just jamming down a thousand emails down someone's throat. Let's let's uh, dissect this one. Yeah, and I think what what are, there's a lot of really good takeaways from that conversation with James, and you know when you think about prospecting into 2024 and what's going to be your competitive differentiator. I've said this before and I'm going to repeat it again. Your level of research before you actually reach out to a company is very important. So if you're taking that, um, I'm going to jam, you know, a hundred, couple hundred prospects into a sequencing tool that fit my ICP and I'm just going to reach out to them with some form of generic messaging and you can, you know, um, relevance at scale, right, or um, personalization at scale, whichever way people want to coin it, you're doing yourself a disservice because um, – Again, if you think about your target account, you've got to go, well, there is a lot more nuances and a lot of more complexities in just getting a person into a meeting. You've got to think, where is this person? And, and James referenced it, the power base, right? What am I selling? And ultimately, where is the money going to be coming from? Um, what is the pathway that we might need to take? Now, you might not know that exact pathway. You might not know the exact steps this organization needs to take to buy, but you should do some form of hypothesis before you enter, right? And that's why the org map 
especially for more complex deals, is key to do beforehand. And you do your level of research and think, right, you know, we often get taught, you go straight to the top, but sometimes you want to get a champion. You need to get somebody, like James said, has the energy to push the project internally, yeah? What, what was that rough figure of the value of that project that you sold to James? So obviously there's, you know, we don't want to go just, just no, some commercially. We'll give, a, give a ballpark, give yeah. a bracket there. You know, we're looking five, six hundred K, right? Okay. So it wasn't it wasn't a a um you know, it wasn't a, a massive, massive deal, but it also wasn't a, just a very no, transactional deal. And, yeah. And the reality behind that was it was a very complicated sales process because as we as we alluded to, we don't we didn't just have, you know, James's boss well, at the time was the CMO and James was head of enablement. But then there was the head of digital and head of marketing and BD yeah. that needed the initial endorsement before it went up to the exec team and the first level partnership team. So yeah, there was a lot of work that needed to get done. And as James said, he brought me in as that trusted advisor that could provide insight and value as part of the conversation. I wasn't just pushing a product. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so just to bring this back to the whole purpose of this particular segment, how would you sell to someone like James and how would you sell to enablement professionals? It's, do you want to be seen as a trusted advisor in that process? And because if, you, if you're not going to be seen as a trusted advisor, your ability to influence that deal is going to be really, really hard, right? Yeah. If you're just putting across the table a proposal with some product information, the question they're going to ask is, what other value do you offer? And if there's no other value, they're just going to look at price. So in order to sell to James, you've got to be asking the question, what are the information gaps? What are the knowledge gaps that I can help fill? Yeah? Mm -hmm. And that's that insight and education because if you can bridge the gap of insight and education and help them feel more confident about what they're doing internally and help them navigate the conversations because you're elevating their role. You're enabling them to have deeper conversations with their executive team, with their peers. What happens is they see you very differently, right? And that is the number one way. If you think about selling into 2024, because this year is pretty much gone, you prospect, the way in which you prospect will absolutely matter because before you just reach out to the company, you need to have a pursuit plan. You need to be thinking about who am I going to be talking to? Why would this matter to them? And what potential information gaps might they have that I can fill with some insight? That'll get me a seat at the table. And then thinking about making sure you get a clear picture of what their buying process looks like so that you can be that advocate and support them through the process. Yeah? And that, that for me is is critical. And I think, you know, how I sold to James, you know, two, three years ago, it's the exact blueprint you use today and next year. The blueprint hasn't changed, yeah. right? I mean, in fact, you would you would say that the playbook is exactly the same. You engage on LinkedIn, you build a bit of, you know, that awareness of who you are, mm -hmm. share a bit of content to show a level of credibility on something. Then call because there's a, a warmish relationship relationship tensions lower you start having a conversation 
you use the insight that you have based on some of the research that you've done and it forms a point of view and it gets to meeting and then all of a sudden from there you start to really build out a roadmap but the key thing is also defining how important is the problem that you're talking to them about yeah and as james said the problem that we were talking about was actually high on their priority list so it made a lot of sense to progress that conversation and in some cases, it is not a major priority and that's okay. And that's where you put them into your relationship funnel and you massage and you might continue to educate and help them see the problem a little bit differently so they say, you know what, it is now a level of priority that we need to tackle, right? Yeah. So, you know, I hope that does help our audience and I hope that answers the question around how I would sell to James, but the blueprint would not change, Right. Lead with a level of insight, create a point of view, be seen as a trusted advisor through educating, providing insight, and then work with them side by side on building that business case so that you can get consensus and ultimately get the deal across the line. Well, mate, another great episode, perfect way to wrap it up. For those listening out there, if you liked what you heard, Please share it with a friend, colleague, help spread the message on how to sell, and we'll see you on next week's episode.